I can do it in two words for you. Are you ready? Yes. It is digital property. What an NFT is at its core is digital property. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. Welcome back to Social Convos and the long-awaited episode is finally here. We're going to dive deeper into some NFT talk, some Web3 talk and the scams that orbit around it. But we've seen a lot of this pop up in 2021 and a lot of people have been victim as well of these scams. Uh, locally, internationally. I, I know some people personally that have been affected. Oh, that's yeah. actually not that great to hear. Sorry, I'm, I'm sad to hear that. Yeah, I, I'm going to do an introduction. Today has been a really interesting day. So first of all, I finally got my uh, my books. It, it took for me, it took quite a while to be honest. Oh yeah, yeah. I, uh, I got mine as well. Like uh, <laughs> I arrived last week. I'm still waiting on one batch. I think yeah. that shipment was delayed, but I should have that by this week. So. Awesome. Awesome. So that's related to it. Secondly, I got into the priority queue of uh, metallic, uh, metallic gold NBA top shot. So I got myself a rear pack, might even open it up during the stream, just, uh, just to get some, some feel for it, depending on the internet connection is as well. And yeah, so that's basically kind of how I know our guest of today. Well, no, it's, it's a strong work because basically on Twitter, do you really know somebody, especially when the face is an NFT? And, uh, and, and now with a, a hexagon frame, we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll touch on it. We'll definitely touch up into that. So, so our, our guest, guest for tonight is actually somebody who reached out and was saying like, Hey, I have a show on, on uh, NFTs and he actually has a, a very interesting podcast as well where he dives deep into the NFT space and also NBA Top Shot, which is, I think, a, a mutual interest. And, and we were like, yeah, but we, we actually want, I actually want you as a guest because, uh, we're really into NFTs and also getting NFTs out in, in the rest of the world, in developing countries as well. And kind of how the utilities of NFTs can also help in, in different parts of the world. So without further ado, I want to introduce Dr. Jeremy Williams. Wow. So, uh, what an introduction. So nice to be here, Diego, Jean-Luc. Thank you for having me. First of all, the doc part, like uh, the doctor, you are an actual doctor. Yeah. Yeah. I have a PhD. <laughs> As my kids remind me, I'm not a medical doctor. They tell me I'm not a real doctor all the time, but I do have a piece of paper that says I've earned a PhD in uh, business. And so, yeah, it, it just sort of the, the point where I entered the NFT space, there were really a lot of academics in the space. And that's sort of how I, I decided I would position myself. Nice. Nice. I should have thought of that. I actually didn't think of that. I'm sure. Yeah. But it's weird now to call myself a doctor, but you also consider yourself a PhD holder. So, uh, for people who are less familiar with, with the crypto space in general, can you like briefly also explain to people what, what holding is and why it's such an instrumental part of, of, of the, of the space? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, I, the, the, People spell holding H-O-D-L in the space. And for me, I am not, you, you, I don't know if you've had other NFT people on and I, I don't know what their story is, but I'm not this like, I'm day trading NFTs and I'm chasing alpha. 
and I'm trying to, you know, make fortunes. For me, it's, it's really more about finding art and artists and people that I want to invest in and, and having a share of their, their story. That, that's what's compelling to me about it. And, and so I, I would say I'm probably a holder more than anything else. I'm not really flipping something at all ever. And I sell things, but it's typically when like, I've, I've decided that I want that liquidity to put it in, into another project that, that just feels more personally relevant. So is it safe to assume you got into NFTs first? Uh, was it last year or was yeah, it yeah. prior experience? No. So, so before becoming in, you know, full-time DGen, as they say, I, I was a school principal. I had worked as a teacher and a vice principal and a school principal, and I'm from the Chicagoland area. Six years ago, moved out to Dubai and was a school principal there. And when I was there, I started teaching about blockchain to kids, uh, even though I was a principal, because I felt like that technology was really disruptive. And it was coming from the Middle East, the sort of mindset of parents is that everyone should be a doctor and engineer. And that's the only way that you can make it in life because- Sounds familiar. Parents, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and parents, you know, they want the best for their their kids and, and they think that's the way because maybe that was the way when they were, when they were younger. But, but, you know, when you, you look at what's happening with technology you sort of go like, okay, is, you don't think that within 20 years or 15 years, you'll sit inside a box, it'll scan your body and it'll do 80% of a general practitioner, a regular doctor's job. I think it will. So, you know, I, I kind of made the decision as the school principal to stop focusing so much on like coding, which was the really sexy thing to teach in schools and start moving kids toward understanding blockchain specifically. So I was already really interested in blockchain. And then I, I had a really nasty surgery on my spine in December of last year. And I, I had an infection and I couldn't walk. I was pretty much just like laying in bed for the better part of two or three months. And there was a podcast, of course, that was focused on NBA Top Shot. And I was like, oh man, like I love blockchain. I love sports. I definitely love basketball. Like this could be really interesting. So I listened to the podcast and um, the rest was history. By June, that was February. By June, I had started my own podcast, and uh, now I, I'm full time um, working in Web three. It's a really weird, not something that I knew about a year ago. From where, right now, I didn't know it existed, and and here I am back in the Chicago area tonight, yeah. not in New York right now. But this is the story. So, so before we go into the yeah, go ahead, yeah, if, yeah before we go into the the full DGN blockchain space, I, I do want to ask uh, during your time in Dubai in the Middle East, how was the reception to, you know, blockchain tech in general? Because we're not that familiar with that part of the world. We, we see more media from, you know, Europe and the States. So I'm curious to know how the reception was there, especially with the kids. Dubai in itself is a really interesting place. You know, I think one thing that people don't realize about the, the UAE in particular is that you know, 95% of the people in that country are from another country. So it's a real melting pot of Colombians and Venezuelans and Mexicans and Indians and Pakistanis and British people and Americans. It's, it's, it's a pretty diverse community and crypto overall in, in Dubai. I mean, there, there is a certain sort of interest in, um, being like first in technology there. That's very palpable when you're there, but on the education side, parents did not know what in the world I was talking about. They did not understand why I was teaching kids this. I think probably now they probably would look back and go, oh, 
I remember Dr. Jeremy teaching us about blockchain and, oh, this is, this is really huge now. This is a big thing. But in 2017, it was sort of at the beginning of that ICO stage where everyone had a coin. And, and what I've noticed is in this space in particular, in the, in the blockchain space, there's a sort of like reductive way that everyone views like blockchain. In, in 2017 and 18, everything was just Bitcoin. Blockchain was Bitcoin. And now it's like blockchain is NFTs. And I think it's like pretty short-sighted because there's so much that this technology can do and it's going to be so disruptive in a variety of ways. So I think it's difficult to figure out where to start because I think that's, it's, it's a lot of information. And I mean, a lot of people have made, especially I recently went to a Metaverse conference where they were like, yeah, we're in the early 90 stages of where the internet was at the time. The Amazons of, of the internet, the Amazons of the blockchain space are not there yet. They, they, they are, they're about to be, be built. And it, it makes it really hard for somebody who has like no understanding, much like people in the nineties that never had anything to do with any kind of internet. And all of a sudden like, this is going to be part of your life in 20 years. You better get used to it. So what would make a transition easier for people that have like no understanding from what blockchain is not even NFTs or diving deeper, but just blockchain technology, what could be the first step for them to start understanding what blockchain is about? Yeah, I, I think it's really easy to set that. I think you have to understand blockchain first before you understand NFTs. And I, the, the way that I explain blockchain to someone is if you imagine a bank in your country and all of the data for all of the the account holders in that bank is in one place, one centralized location. Let's pretend for the sake of conversation that that one centralized location is a watermelon. So imagine this watermelon in front of you and all of the data for all of the customers from the bank are inside that watermelon, right? And so you can, if you want to get access to the data inside that watermelon, you can do it, right? You could shoot it with a gun. You could hit it with a hammer. You could smash it with a bat, but actually you could take a pin and you could poke a tiny hole in that watermelon. It doesn't have to be a large weapon to destroy that watermelon. And that is the sort of vulnerability to traditional data centralization is that it a breach is a breach. It doesn't matter how big, how wide, how deep. Everything is located in one place. And if you think of that same metaphor of the watermelon in the bank, now imagine that every bank customer for the entire bank is storing that data as a node and they have the entire transaction history for every other customer who's ever been at that bank and the entire transaction history is with each member individually. So instead of it being one big watermelon, everybody who is a member of that bank is a watermelon. And if you want to breach that data, you have to breach all of the watermelons and that security, that ability to have a, a decentralized data structure is really valuable because it makes things way more verifiable. It creates a trust economy and it creates an ability to really believe when someone has an asset in a bank, you know if it's on blockchain that they actually have it and it makes it uh, far less susceptible to fraud. So I think like that's probably where I would start. It's like understanding what decentralization means just as a concept, not about pros and cons, but just like what it means to be decentralized and why it matters from a blockchain perspective, because then you can get pretty quickly to NFTs from there. I think, yeah, the why is very important. And I've been around in 2017 and you heard about it before, but it's, 
it's also that part of accessibility. I wasn't able to, you know, dive deep into the space because a lack of accessibility that we have here through, you know, platforms, etc. But in 2017, I was fortunate enough to, you know, vacation to the States, uh, was able to manage to open some accounts, etc. And that kind of opened a whole new world for me. And I see this same cycle happened in 2020, 2021 with the hype of the NFTs. This kind of brought in a new wave of, you know, fresh people coming into the space through NFTs. And then they go deep, dive deeper into how the blockchain works, how decentralization works, how the whole monetary system works. You, you also already mentioned that, you know, you, you listened to a podcast before you went deeper into N the NFTs. What in particular sparked that interest to actually make the full on step to that, you know, enamored you with NFTs to. Yeah. It, it, like it's that. weird, right? Because Diego, I think that like, I wish I could say that my plan was to work in NFTs, you know, last February or even last June when I started the podcast, it just was something I was really passionate about. And what I've learned in, I'm old compared to you guys look so young and, and handsome and I look so old. Uh, and there's gray in this beard. You can see it. Like I, I'm an old man. But one of the things that I learned is that if you're really just doing something you're deeply passionate about and you're not looking to take, but you're just looking to put something out there for others, it's not for your own benefit. There's no monetization structure to this podcast. Like it's just uh, learning I wanted to share with people that like good attracts good. And you know, that, that I would have never imagined that this is what I'm doing right now. It's like a dream. Like my work is, is so much fun and every day is a new challenge. And I needed it at this point in my career to do something new and to have that sort of passion reinvigorated for me. But I think like the, for me, it was just like, I just tried to put something out there that I hoped would be useful. I didn't know if people would find it useful or not. It was the, the right place at the right time. People wanted to learn about this stuff. And uh, I think when you're an educator, you're, you're pretty used to breaking things down into simple pieces for people. That's like your whole job, whether it's unpacking student behavior as a principal or it's teaching math, the whole aim of it is to take something complex and break it down so you can get everybody to come with you. And I think it was just one of those things where like people could tell I was having fun with what I was doing. And it, it resonated. Uh, and you know, there was no ask. I, I've never made a project, you know, I'm not, um, creating NFTs. My son makes NFTs, but that's his, he's eight and that's his thing to do. <laughs> but, but, you know, I mean, I think, I think for me, like there, I, I was very clear up front, like I'm not a day trader. I'm not looking to, you know, get rich off of selling in, in buying NFTs. Like this is just something really fun for me. And it's a, it's a hobby and it's a passion. And I think I came into it with a very white heart and it stayed that way. And that's why it's still so much fun for me. Okay. I, I quickly want to jump into your profile or we're just going to put it on screen just because what I find really interesting is like, this is something that's released recently. And if we go to your Twitter profile picture, you can click on it. Of course, there's another notification, but that's one is gone and you can actually see the NFT details of this profile picture that you've used, which is an alien Dougal, and it's all written down here. So this is something that recently Twitter decided they wanted to, to integrate it. Really, that's also something that I find interesting is that Twitter is doing this while Jack Dorsey is kind of being relieved, who is kind of one of the people that's saying, yeah, but I want true decentralization. Can you like explain a little bit about 
what the alien Google is and why did you choose this particular NFT to represent yourself? It's bad because I've switched NFT profile photos since this came <laughs> out five days ago, at least seven times. I'm switching more than once per day. I can um, imagine though. Yeah, but it's just fun yeah. to play around with. Yeah. And, and there's so many artists, you know, I, again, I buy, I buy NFTs from people that I want to support because I believe in their art and their creativity. And so there's a lot of people that I want to put their work up there and show it off. But the alien Dougal is airdrop from the alien boy. Alien Boy is one of the most OG collections that's been around for a long time. It's never had the massive success that like a Bored Ape Yacht Club has had, but the community is very passionate about the project. And I think for me, like that's, it's like, it, that's what's cool about it to me. It's like, it's not some like, it. this is not a uh, uh, 100,000 US dollar NFT. This is like a, an, an airdrop that came from just a, a collection that I really like. And he has a cactus body, which I think is super dope. But I think the more interesting aspect to this, Diego and John Luke, is like, why would someone want to have an NFT as a profile photo? And I've been thinking about this a lot over the, the next couple, the last few days since this happened. And, and one of the things that I think you need to recognize is why does someone want to drive a Mercedes, right? They they want to be seen in the Mercedes. Why does someone want a Louis Vuitton purse? They want they want to be seen with the Louis Vuitton purse or the Rolex or the iPhone, all of this. Like there is some aspect of status attached to these things. What more status can you have? People use their social media accounts more than anything else, more than their car. I mean, they're constantly on Instagram. They're constantly on Twitter. So what better status can you have than your profile photo being status in itself. And it happened with the right click save as is where people just take pictures of their NFTs and make them not verifiable profile photos, but they would be their, their profile photo. But I think this is, it's like, it's super dope. And I would not be shocked if Instagram in a matter of months is right behind them. They've already sort of been flirting with NFTs for a while. And Meta, of course, uh, Facebook, that, that thing is happening clearly. So I think it's more about like, it is a flex and. I think it's a cool flex and I think it's going to bring more people into the space. And the fact that you can see all of the sort of back end of that NFT, that proof of ownership is kind of the whole freaking point of this thing. So I, I was really excited about it. There's some issues and errors with it. There's some scammable stuff with it we can get into later, but more or less, I think it's super dope and I was really excited to see it. Yeah, the amount of uh, data that uh, it shows when you click on the profile picture, I was uh, really surprised at how much they pulled from OpenSea to show and verify. You can even see if the collection is verified. But And of course, OpenSea is the one that verifies, so that's another whole debate. But the first thing... How much time do we have, Diego, to talk about OpenSea? That could be five <laughs> episodes of content about all my feelings about OpenSea. Oh, that, <laughs> uh, definitely something to consider for uh, a later time, maybe, but... The thing I wanted to uh, to dive deeper into, the first thing that came to mind for me when I saw this, okay, for now it's, you know, it's in the rollout phase, the testing phase, it's only on iPhone, I think. So one thing that establishes, okay, these people own an iPhone, they're Apple people, etc. But the other thing that came to mind was you have a, a platform like Twitter, which is Web2, and you have the Web3 profile picture, you know, the NFTs, the data you get pulled from OpenSea. There's this certain air around anonymity and by having this, you kind of, ex I'd say expose if people connect their, you know, public wallet, uh, to your Twitter profile, you're kind of exposing your decentralized anonymous 
wallet, although it is public and connecting it to a Web2 platform. What's your take on that in terms of, you know, yeah, anonymity, security and privacy? I mean, I, I just, I think for me, it's an interesting question because Diego, at the end of the day, for me, I am far more interested in the social good that NFTs can bring than, than hardcore decentralization. I'm just, that's not my personal interest in any of this. I, I'm much more interested in the equitable way people in lesser developed countries can participate in the creator economy. I'm much more interested in how young kids can monetize their, their artistic talents and gifts musicians can invert the music industry. These things are more interesting to me. And to the idea of like, I've made a couple posts that like, I just say like, stop investing in, in anonymous people because, you know, there are a lot of bad actors in this space and they hide behind sweetie buns 84 as their like Twitter handle and their discord name. And they like, they make these projects and then they rug everyone. And so for me, like I, I say this all the time, invest in people, not in projects. And I mean that, like, I want to, I want to see the person I'm investing in and it is an investment. No, it's not an investment. Like this is a stock and I'm, I'm hoping it's going to a hundred X, but it is an investment that I believe in this human being's work and I want to support it. And that's sort of my angle to all of this. That's probably less popular than, than most people's main opinion, which is to get stacks and make money. But, but for me, like, I just want to invest in people that are real humans that, that, that are doxxed and are willing to say, yeah, I'm John Luke. Then I am interested in these, these Anon people. And I get that for hardcore decentralizers that flies in the face of what they want, but that's why this it's cool. It's the internet. There's room for everyone. I, I just, for me, I won't put my money into anonymous teams. This is actually the fight in the metaverse and especially the early stages of the metaverse. The fight is going to be between the crypto maxis and the NFT maxis. Whereas like one group is saying like, it's about decentralization. It's about removing the power from certain groups that misuse the amount of power they have against the people that are looking at the utility. Like, listen, we can actually use this for good. We can actually bring out NFTs. And if people buy those NFTs, we can build schools, we can build homes in countries. So it's, it's this big fight between in, indeed those two groups where one just likes the anonymity, uh, the being anonymous because they know that also to protect them, be protected against governments because governments are like, oh, you're pulling against us. So we're, we're gonna, we're gonna shut you down. And I think it's it, the words a little bit still scary for me when it comes to security and, and being anonymous or not. Like every time I represent myself on web three, there's like this scare that I get hacked. Like very simple. I decided to pull off, try to put my blog a little bit more on Web3 and my, my website gets hacked. Like it, it just happens. It's like, it's no co coincidence anymore that as soon as I move a certain move in Web3 where I actually expose myself as being fully vulnerable, like showing people who I am, that there's this backlash that somebody just like, oh, maybe his website is a little fun to see if I can hack it. And they just, and my website is down. So these kind of things are, are really, and I think we're still in the early stages as well, but I do feel like it scares off a lot of people. And, and with that, I quickly also want to make a little bit more of a connection to NFTs because like most people, they have a general concept of what an NFT is, but, and you also explain kind of, it's also kind of a collectible. It's also a flex in some cases. But for people that are really trying to wrap their head around what, what's NFT, I keep hearing this word and the, the phrase non-fungible token says me nothing. 
Like completely, it doesn't say anything to me. So for those people. Kind of sounds stupid, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. So how, how, what, what could you give as a better definition of what an NFT is? I can do it in two words for you. Are you ready? Yes. It is digital property. What an NFT is at its core is digital property. The fungible part just means it's unique, but I, I mean, I think that everything's unique. You know, I mean, even if I have two hats that look exactly the same, one was manufactured a minute before the other one was there, there, there is no sort of true identical thing. And, and so the, it's digital property. And I think that's the part right now where people are struggling is they're treating it like it's a picture of an ape and not treating it like it's a piece of digital property. If it were your car you would care for it and you wouldn't go doing dumb things in your car because it's it, it it has value to you because it's a real thing and i think the missing link with this is that people aren't treating their nfts like digital property they're treating them like jpegs and that is i think what is is creating a lot of vulnerability a lot of scams in the space and and you know if you are a 25 year old and you got lucky with a board ape and it's worth half a million usd i mean I don't know anyone in the world who wouldn't treat that like it was the most important piece of property they have in their life. Yet you hear these, you hear these stories about people getting hacked, getting scammed and falling for things. And it's not that the people are stupid that fall for these things. It's that they, in their mind, they don't think of this as real. They think of it as some, some JPEG on the internet and it's actual property. And I think that mindset is what has to change to get people to really be a lot smarter and a lot safer in the space. So let's go into that a bit. So NFT started, um, way back. It was more, uh, a way for artists, you know, to express, as you mentioned, that digital ownership as well, but especially in 2021 utility around NFTs has been become more prevalent. So. Can you further elaborate on what separates art and utility within NFTs and how people should look at those two separately or yeah. as a whole? Yeah. I, I think that part of the challenge too, is that people are looking at these, everyone has their own lens and how they look at an NFT project. Right? So I've told you mine is I, if I just like the art, I'm like one of the few people that just, if I think the art is super dope, that may be a reason why I'm in something or buy it off secondary. Um, and by the way, I don't mint anything anymore because I don't really trust the websites that they're not hacked or scammed. So I just, I'd rather pay more and buy it all off secondary than buy anything off primary other than top shot. And we can talk about that in a little bit too, but, but I think like when it comes down to it, everyone has their own entry point, right? Maybe it's, you're really good at trading and you have a great eye for a project and you want to make money. That's cool. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. That's just not my my lens into why I would buy a project. But I think if it, utility matters for me most in any of the projects for me, it, Top Shot is where that matters the most for me. So NBA Top Shot, for people that don't know, it's a basketball NFT collectible. I'm, I'm a huge Chicago Bulls fan. And so I'm banking on there being in real life utility for holding these NFTs that it's going to allow me to attend bulls shoot around one day or it's going to allow me if the bulls make it to the eastern conference finals maybe they'll allow the people who are top 10 on their leaderboard to attend so so that's the draw for me that's why i'm i'm so active in that community but it, it it's utility does i think what what we've seen in the space is that it goes through waves 
it's cyclical like everything. So at the beginning, it was you like in April, it was all about utility. Then it moved to airdrops. So if you minted a project, would they airdrop you other projects? Then it moved to token airdrops or no, it was coins. Every project was going to create their own coin. Now you got DAOs. All the, yeah. The, yeah. And now you get DAOs. And, then, and yeah. then now, yeah, now it's all about these token airdrops. So we see that it's not one person puts a flag down and then everyone else just sort of copies it until the next flag gets put down. And so I think utility really mattered in April and I still think it matters on some projects. And I think you, the cool thing about it that people don't realize is if you have a great idea and you're going to just, the, the NFT is a crowdfunding mechanism. It, it, it it's, it's a meant, it's a social justice fundraiser. It, it's whatever. It, the art doesn't matter as much. And that's cool. Like you can have an idea as an NFT creator and you can make it super viable. I think that it just depends on where your, where your lens is for this and what you're trying to accomplish. And I think that part of the issue is that people don't get clear on that before they start collecting. And then it leads to some poor decisions. But, but also people are not clear about it when they start these projects as well. I think that's also something that, that you mentioned, like. If you treat it as a true digital asset, like for instance, we kicked off the show with the book from Gary Vaynerchuk, where he basically says, as soon as there is a law that allows me that the people that invested most in my digital assets, as soon as there's a law that I, I am allowed to make them shareholders of my company, I'm going to make them shareholders of my company because they invested in me and from the start. And what we have with a lot of these NFT projects is basically it's like, we're going to make a cool design. We're going to make it super funky and super interesting. We're going to set up a discord. We're going to DM the hell out of this, all these people on discord on the, on the popular channels. And there's no like real, even if there's in, in life value, they put some in life value in it. There is no real belief system that's being built. And I think that's also something that's very different from NBA top shot, where it's clearly a business it's together. With Dapper Labs, it's together with the actual NBA and the Players Association. Now also with the WNBA and the Players Association of the WNBA. And now Dapper Labs is even moving towards the NFL. So I think it's, it's, and that makes it kind of easier. It's like Diego said, it's like the Web3 and the Web2 kind of coming together and taking the best parts of the two, the Web2, giving the stability and the, the trustworthiness that this project is good long-term. And then the web tree where kind of all the new stuff comes in and it, how hard is it for, for people to look at an NFT project and understand how vulnerable the project is or how steady actually the, the project is. Gary V says this really well. He says 90% of this crap is going to go to zero and, and he's probably right. You know, I mean. And I think the other part that people lose track of is there's also not a lot of wallets in the space yet. Let's say there's 200,000 crypto wallets that are buying NFTs right now. And let's say that, you know, everyone here, the three of us all have two wallets minimum. That's six of the 2,000 or the 200,000 right there. So I just also don't know, you know, how big the user base is right now to sustain all of these projects. So right now I feel like there's a bit more supply than demand. Gas is obviously the transaction fees required to transact these things is also like, I mean, for, for a lot of people, regardless of where you live in the world, just obscene and no way are you going to spend that much on gas. So I think that, you know, it, it's one of those where I think that it's like, 
there's just a lot of issues that make it really complex. And I think like it's, it's been harder than ever to like diagnose what project's going to be a winner and which one's going to be a loser. But for me, if, if there is a non-anonymous team or a team that's already been successful with another project, they're going to get the benefit of the doubt for me over someone, you know, who's hiding behind some weird name from discord. Yeah, I think in 2021, uh, a bit over 20 million new Ethereum wallets were created, which is like a drop in the water. If you look at all the, you know, the whole digital space and the most of the volume that happened on OpenSea only happened in the second half of the year as well. If you compare the last quarter with the, you know, the first year, it kind of the the, the total yeah, it's only after, you know, some celebrities, some influencers, some whales also got into this space that drew, you know, retail consumers like us more into the space. And what worries me sometimes is, you know, people follow these influencers, these uh, celebrities, but just because they go into the space, you see Reese Witherspoon buying a world of women or okay, Snoop Dogg has been in the space for a while now. He has plots in, I think, Sandbox and Decentraland, building digital spaces there. Steve, Steve Aoki has been someone who has been very avid in the space for artists as well. But if you look at all these, you know, good and questionable influencers that enter the space, how viable, in your opinion, is, is their influence to these new newcomers in the space? If you look at it from a perspective of safety and, you know, not just following the crowd. Yeah. I mean, Diego, I think you've touched on something that again, I think every time you come up with a topic as it relates to NFTs, you have to look at the decentralized side of the fence and the centralized side of the fence. And here's what I mean by that. NBA top shot. Is someone going to scam me on NBA top shot? The answer is no. The answer is no, they can't. It's a centralized marketplace that is held and maintained by a private company that is doxxed. The CEO of that company is very well known. It, it is now at the same time, am I going to 10X or 100X my investment in that platform? The answer is also no. And so if you go to the decentralized side of the fence to look at that same topic, you can make crazy gains in some project that you had, you can go to bed and then it can 20X overnight. But there's also a lot of scumbags in the space and a lot of people who are just really, you know, Beanie Maxi is a great example of everything that went on with, with him, with Charles, I should say, over the, the past week or so. Allegedly, he, he's done some pretty shady things. And so because it's not regulated and because it's not like the regulation is some really honorable thing anyways, because the governments, to your point, John Luke, they can be the biggest scammers of all when it comes down to it. I, I think that it's really more of a matter of like, wherever, whatever side of the fence you want to sit on, there are pros and cons. That is why, like, I really like participating in Top Shot because of who I am as a human being is I'm scared of risk and it feels far less risky to buy a $2 Alex Caruso moment on NBA Top Shot than a $1,200 picture of a robot with laser eyes. And, and so for me, for this to be enjoyable as a hobby, I can't have that much, much risk involved. Now, some people love the thrill and that probably really charges them. But for me as a human, it doesn't work for me. I think it's really fair. I think you assess and, and that's also for me, I made a choice and uh, I, f I finally kind of the, started using NBA Top Shot as a stable coin. Like instead of saying like- Great, great, 
Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. So instead of saying like, I'm going to use Tether or Binance USD as kind of my stable coin, just in times like where I am now, where kind of market is crashing, I'm just going to put all the money in, in Topshot. And the only problem that I have now is like, I'm not sure I'm going to take it out because I'm enjoying the, the Topshot experience way too much because I'm an actual basketball fan. So I think, I think that also makes these NFT projects and I have been really selective, like Diego and I spoke and he showed me this project and I was constantly like, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I've, I'm not interested in any NFT projects that I don't really have a connection with. And some have grown on me, for instance, and others are like, yeah, but I really don't find this interesting. And it's like you said, you want to have something that you feel connected with or somebody you want to support or an artist that you want to support. And the gas fees for me, it's easy. I don't collect NFTs on the Ethereum blockchain. I just, if they're on Matic, fine, I'll, I'll collect them. Yeah. I mean, you're a hundred percent right. And I think that when it comes down to it, right, we're right now that I think we have to zoom out. Let's just take a pause for a second and let's just look at where we are today. It is January 25th, 2022. We are talking about NFTs. And when we're talking about NFTs, we're talking about profile photos of random animals with laser beams coming out of their eyes. This is the equivalent of 8-bit Nintendo in the 1980s. And where will, when gaming explodes, when, when play to earn oh, gaming yeah. explodes, we won't even remember this stuff. It will be so far a, a distant memory because when that thing rips, when Epic Games announces that you can play Fortnite and you can earn, and by the way, I've not heard that, but I just presume that every game will turn that way. EA Sports, Fortnite. And, and, you know, the play to earn component, I don't think, and this is like, I don't think people have understood this. We're only looking, this whole conversation, we're being very accurate and very honest, but we're talking about where NFTs are today. Where they will be once the gaming uh, thing goes off to the moon is a whole different conversation. Because one of the biggest things I hear from people is, oh, well, if you just get a hardware wallet, you'll be safe, right? You'll be safe. Okay. When you're, when you're gaming and you need your wallet attached so you can use your assets, my, my CEO, Casey Coleman brought this up. You're not going to be able to put it in a hardware wallet and leave it in a safe. You're going to need access to them while you're playing. So the susceptibility to scams will be increased. It will be far more dangerous. It can't just be put it in a hardware wallet and store it away. And, and like, I just think that like the gaming thing is so real. I think it's going to be parabolic and. You know, if someone was saying, how do I get involved? I would say buy domain names and research gaming. That would be my two things I would say to someone if they have maybe limited funds and are risk averse like so, me, that's what I'd do. So you're kind of hinting, like, uh, I'm not, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but basically in 15 years time, my son is going to play NBA 37K <laughs> or 2037, and he's going to unlock an NBA top shot moment in the game. Is that like, and he's going to get, and he or your daughter yeah. is going to be getting paid to play that game. Yeah. And uh, Jean-Luc, I don't know how young you are, but you both look like very, again, very handsome, very young men. I'm much older. My kids play games. Now they're going to be, I'm saying in probably less than five years, they're going to be earning to play all of their triple A rated games that they're super passionate about. And how am I going to tell that kid? No, 
go to college, spend all this money to take on debt and, and make 30,000 us a year being a teacher or make 60,000 us a year playing Fortnite, not even streaming on Twitch, just sitting at home in your boxers playing Fortnite. I mean, and that is where, like, I feel like not to jump back to the schools thing where schools are really not understanding what is happening here. You know, the, the, this this thing is about to blow and when it does nothing will be the same it's not it's going to be bigger than bitcoin was in 2017 it's going to be bigger than nfts were in 2021 this gaming thing is freaking real and it is coming right damn now no i completely share that same sentiment around gaming i think a few episodes ago we extensively talked about this to me and john look we're uh, both playing. He, he plays God's Unchained. I play Splinterlands. That's kind of our play to our niche. And he actually earns a little bit more on the side talking and writing about the games as well, because that's also the other aspect. Content creation. That you can have content creation and you get paid for your content creation as well. So the, the limits, like there's, there's no limit to where, where this could go. And it really is to the point that most of the things that will be valuable in 20 years from now. We can't grasp it right now, much like we couldn't grasp that we would talk from three different places at night on a podcast. Twenty-five years on, I'd be in my closet in in Chicago right now, speaking <laughs> with you guys. Yeah, I mean yeah. exactly. And and again, then this is where I go, like, and I see Fausto laughing at me talking about the the you know the people gaming. But you know, you you think about okay, how does a child, how does a young person succeed in the future? What skills are required? And this is ultimately why I left education, formal education in the first place is because they are so blind to what is happening right now. And if schools aren't going to educate parents and educate kids about what's happening here and what's happening under the water and what automation will you know, remove from the job market, who is going to do that? And how does a kid who maybe doesn't have parents who understand technology going to be disadvantaged? from that lack of knowledge, because right now it's not really about coding anymore, guys. It's just about knowing it's about knowing what's going on and being aware of it. So when you have your opportunity come and it's right time, right place, and you're passionate about it and you're good at it and the world needs it, that you take advantage of that. And I I just, I, I worry that we're sort of at a crux of the education system failing, the economy, not ready for this great resignation, these people leaving jobs. The play to earn gaming set to explode. And I think it's like we in the US, and I don't know how it is for you guys, like everywhere I go, there's every there's a sign in every single building, restaurant that says we need employees, we need employees. How in the hell are you gonna find employees when people are making 60 grand a year playing a video game? You're not. Whew, this this is yeah, it's you really touched you really touched the nail on his head. And I, I do want to quickly switch over to the podcast and if and if teach, I also quickly want to, because we haven't elaborated on it, but are you also part of the PacRip team or not? Yeah, I'm, I'm part of what used to be PacRip Media. PacRip has okay. now joined Top Shot formally. And so we're, we're going through a bit of a rebrand. I'll talk to you offline about that because there may be some things that are particularly interesting to you two gentlemen about that. Okay. Uh, not ready to announce what's going on with that yet. But but NFT started in June as a way to educate people new to the space who never really heard about it, but wanted to get involved. I made episodes at beginning, intermediate and advanced levels for people to sort of, you know, get involved and, and learn regardless 
uh, of, of, of where, where you're at. You know, if you don't know anything about crypto, let's teach you about crypto or let's direct you toward top shot because you don't need to understand crypto to participate in top shot and having those types of conversations. And now I'm really starting the education cycle on play to earn. I'm, I'm, I'm really moving toward play to earn and educating people about what staking is and how in-game assets work and how these, these models work, because I think that understanding this stuff is really important. And I think that like people get lost in the ability to make money and they don't understand enough of what's going on and they make some really bad decisions. And it may be something that, you know, God forbid, you know, financially puts them in, in a, a bad position or worse, socially and emotionally, mental health wise puts them in a bad, bad position. So the whole premise of NFT was just to teach people about this stuff in a way that would help them access it wherever they are in their journey. Talk to interesting people who are making things in the space and who are doing things in, in the space. Call out nonsense when I see it. And uh, Pack Rip uh, Ewing was a really huge supporter in the podcast growing because he had a lot of clout on social and really liked the podcast and asked if I would join him. And I said, yes, but with him joining Top Shot formally now, it's now time to pivot and, and look about what we're going to do in the future. And so that's sort of the origin of, of NFT. And, and how is the, how is kind of the, the Aspen scam boss related to that? Yeah. So, so my full-time work is for Monax labs and we have a product called Aspen, which is essentially aimed to be a comprehensive NFT platform. What that means is we want to have the ability for you to do all of your NFT business, regardless of what chain you're on in one location. And we will be strategically targeting uh, a launch here in the next couple months. There'll be information. If you follow Aspen FT, A-S-P-E-N-F-T on Twitter, you'll get information on what we're building. What I can tell you is it's super exciting. And we're going to be focused specifically on five play to earn communities to, uh, to get started and, and giving them the ability to do all of their play to earn business, their staking and, and potentially rewarding them with some additional tokens to be a part of our community and use our, our platform. So the idea and premise of Aspen really simply though, is that we want to create a space where we can make NFT transactions safe, secure, and legal. And right now, if you're Disney, you really can't take the chance on making an NFT that could show up on OpenSea next to something that is not good for your brand, regardless of if it's racist or if it's sexist or whatever. And, and these things are what right now, the inability to create safe, secure, and legal NFTs to put parameters around where they can go, where royalty structures follow, licensing on chain, the ability to, if you're a board ape holder, rent out your ape to someone who's in New York for NFT NYC for a week and have it trustlessly come back to you. This is the layer of transactions that really have to happen to really get to the heart of, of making this a viable thing going forward. It can't just be buy and sell. It's, you gotta have the ability to do more complex commercial transactions in a safe, secure and legal way. And, and, you know, if you have a half a million dollar piece of digital property, it'd be nice to have some legal components to make it insurable, for example. So in case it was hacked or, or taken, you have some sort of recourse. So that's sort of the, the big picture of what I'm working on. I'm the VP of community for, for Monax Labs and, and Aspen is going to be the first product that we launched. I'm really excited about it. Yeah, I think that being chain agnostic will definitely help us. Right now, most of the, I'd say, popular mainstream projects are all run on Ethereum layer one. They've recently, you know, uh, a lot of projects have migrated to either 
Polygon or Immutable, especially the gaming space, are looking at Immutable X, so Gods Unchained, Guilds of Guardians are all on Immutable. And I've seen a lot of, I'd say, I think guilds pop up, or gaming communities that kind of create this space. It is a company and kind of want to facilitate gamers especially because at one point we're gonna, as you said, now everybody needs to learn how everything works. At one point, it's going to become kind of, uh, you know, self-explanatory where people won't necessarily need to understand all the backend stuff, but, you know, they just want to play the game. Maybe they don't have the funding to get that uh, expensive collection to be able to play on a competitive level or for championship, for example. So I see these guilds kind of, you know, pooling money together to create kind of gaming scholarship for gamers, and then they provide them the NFTs, the assets to actually compete on a professional level. So how is Aspen kind of looking towards those types of uh, communities or guilds or, and I'm, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to call them. Right so, so what I would say is like, strategically, we'll start with L1 Ethereum games because we're, we're sort of beginning our work on L1 Ethereum for a number of reasons. But I, what we're very keen to is having this initial focus on gamers and, and being a good source of community for play to earn gamers because their needs are a little different. And, and you really want to know as someone, and, and this is something that we didn't talk about, John Luke, specifically to what you were bringing up, but like, you want to know if you're going to buy an asset now, like you want to know what the floor is. And that's sort of the base level of understanding on the metrics of, of what, what's going on. But you really want to be able to understand if it's a, a in-game asset, you want to understand what it yields. And and how many days it'll take to pay off that asset. These things are, are sort of front of mind and it's a different mindset. It's definitely a, a bit more data-driven mindset when you're looking at, at play to earn in-game assets in the decision-making process. It's a little less about laser eyes and a little more about return on investment. And we believe that there's all sorts of people that are maybe not current play to earn gamers that are gonna be really interested in trading things that are are based in in the gaming world and so we just feel like for us it's a good place to start we're gonna i mean we're gonna be a, a wide open community across chains as i mentioned so for us you know it, it's it's about where we're starting right now but we just see gamers as a huge sort of under focused aspect of of this space right now everyone's still in pfp land and i think the train has has taken off from the station toward this gaming thing and, and we just sort of see that as where we want to be more than uh laser eyes to close it off on the gaming scene are there any particular games you yourself are looking into i saw your tweet I think a few days ago you wanted to check out Gods Unchained. I, I think I commented on it. So have you checked it out? Or are you checking out? Yeah, anything? yeah. I signed up for an account. I've been playing League of Kingdoms for a while. I have land in League of Kingdoms. So that was the first sort of NFT based game that I that I got involved with. I, I'm super interested in NFT lands. I don't know if you're familiar with that project, but it's essentially land plots like you would have on Sandbox or, or the Metaverse. But but what's cool hey, is about it, it uh, based on Minecraft? Yes. I think based I on, saw it. I recently joined the server. It, it's based on Minecraft and you can build out on that land, you know, whatever you want. You can create games on that land. And, and again, you know, like for me, it's these projects that are sort of doing something unique and different that I find really compelling. I'm interested in Sappy Seals. I'm interested in a, a lot of the games that are happening on L1 right now, but Gods Unchained is sort of my, my first place where I'm going to start as a gamer. 
in terms of some of the L2 stuff. If it would have been L1, I would have probably prioritized it for what we were looking at doing in terms of communities for Aspen. But for now, one is where we're at. But I'm super bullish on Star Atlas too. I'm I'm just like, the fact that the game is supposed to be built on Unreal is really compelling to me. I'm really looking forward to seeing what that game actually plays like. And I think there's going to be a lot of interest in that game. I think that might be the first like AAA rated game that we get in the play to earn space. I'm still feeling that we're leaving out the number one blockchain game in the world, but I'll leave it at that. Are you talking about Axie? <laughs> no, no, I'm talking about Splinterlands, but the thing, the thing is it's, it's, it's kind of, yeah, I'm, I'm as a hive owner, of course, I'm going to push to, I'm going to just, you're just going to have to accept that for the next couple of months, I'll be pushing some things towards you. But I have to say, I have to say, Diego, I feel that, that Jeremy has earned a watermelon NFT. So you're getting a watermelon NFT from me, just from this conversation alone, because I think you will really, Perfect. Will really enjoy that one. It, it, it's funny that you mentioned uh, yeah. the watermelon as your metaphor uh, previously, because the, the watermelon thing has kind of become an inside joke towards us, for us. What are the odds? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Shanluk also gifted me a few watermelon NF, uh, a watermelon NFT on Hive few months ago yeah I, I, there's there and that's also for me i'm i'm supporting creators and i'm just going through just going through all those nfts on the platform that i'm most active on and whenever i see something that i really like and it's affordable i just buy it and i'm either gonna give it away Same. either either gonna give it away on twitter or do something else with it and this is one of the reasons why i buy it because you bring up the watermelon and now i have watermelon to give away but diego i feel like there's so many more questions, but I think we have to go to the over-under and kind of close it off. So basically we've been inspired by, by Gary to do overrated, underrated, and we have a couple of topics and we would like to ask you whether or not it's overrated or underrated. Bring it on. I'm ready. Okay. So I'm going to start off really easy for you. Michael Jordan. Criminally underrated. He is the greatest of all time, but I feel like it's disrespectful to even have a conversation on him or LeBron. Six rings is really all the conversation I need. I know Jay, JMKTG will agree with me if he watches this and sees this. So that that's an easy one for me. But yeah, I appreciate you starting off with a, a easy place to get going. Yeah, I mean, I... There it is. <laughs> the original. All right, for me, looks rare. Underrated. I think like their model, the community, the network effects from the token drop, the fact that you had to do a listing, really smart. And OpenSea really sucks. So you, you combine those two things, and I think they absolutely knocked it out of the park. And um, really excited for that platform to get going, and think it's good for the space to have options. And I think they've done a really, really, really good job. Twitter as a promotional social media platform for Web3. Overrated, man. I if you listen to Aspen Scambusters, as you brought up Scambusters, one of the things we do is talk about like the Twitter scams and the Discord scams that go on a weekly basis. And like, there's a lot like. For me, the number one pet peeve on Twitter is when someone will, I'll, I'll say like, Hey, my grandma turned 103 today. And then someone will reply to that tweet with buy my project on OpenSea. Here is my like happy walrus or something. I'm like, what the hell? Like, I'm not even like, get out of here. I just block immediately. So it is very shilly and it, 
you got to find your sort of right paths and you have to mute a lot and block a lot, but I would say it's overrated as a marketing tool. I think like the strength of community really happens in Discord more than it happens in, in Twitter. Speaking of Discord, Discord has seen a flood of new users and project I, within the last three, six months. They, I've seen so many updates in Discord regarding, you know, security, safety, just the system in general, but for communities. Do you think Discord is still underrated or is has it reached still, a point of still think it still think it's underrated? I, I, I think that I, I put the other day that Discord is like Slack for you know for boomers. It, it's like it 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 is like the really like now way to, to build community and organize things. And 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 I think that like once you learn how to navigate Discord successfully, one of the number one rules on Aspen Scambusters is nothing good happens in a Discord DM. And and that's the truth. Like so, so if you learn not to use your DMs and avoid that at all costs, if you learn never to click on a link on your phone, don't do any business on Discord on your phone. I, that's my rule of thumb. I really, Discord is more of a laptop only app for me because you can get yourself into trouble and be more vulnerable on your phone when you're watching your show or eating your macaroni and cheese than, than um, when you're on your computer. So I think if you govern yourself safely, Discord can be really powerful. And I, I think that we'll, we'll, we're going to see Discord's underrated now, and it's going to continue to be more successful as we go. Okay. The NBA Top Shot archive pack, our archive set. Overrated. I don't get why we're making those moments in such high mint counts. I don't want those moments to be accessible to everyone. I want those moments. So I am a Bulls fan. They just made a legendary Derrick Rose moment. And it's like 11,000 US dollars was the last time I checked the marketplace to buy it because I don't have it. My team set's not, not complete, which really irks me, but I'm so certain they're going to make a 30,000 mint Derek Rose moment that I'm not even going to save up and like trade some ETH to get it because I know that what they're going to do is they're going to, instead of making a rare, which would be where I would approach this, I would go down one tier, not, not three tiers. They flood the market with these. And. I like the idea of the set, but I don't think those moments for run it back and the, the vintage ones should be accessible to everyone. It should be like a rite of passage for, for being a, a hardcore collector. And, and, and yeah, so I think for me, I'm, I'm kind of, I like the idea of the set, but I don't like the mint count. I'm, I'm to be honest, I totally agree with you, but thanks to that mint count, it was the first set that I got to complete. So I, I'll I like high mint count sets. Yeah. Like I'm a seeing stars fan for sure. Mm -hmm. Love that set. I'm never going to be able to collect a rare set or a legendary a rare set. set. Not, yeah. No, never, no. Yeah. but, but I think for me, like, oh, I have taken a team set collector approach to this. And so anything that doesn't support that, I will not like anything <laughs> that does support that I will like, but that's just me. So, so quickly, quickly for, for the, the people like me that are into NBA top shot, uh, are you only focusing on the Chicago Bulls completion or yes. are you? Okay. Yes. I don't care about any other team on the platform. I don't care about any other player on the platform. I don't care at all. You could get me a number one serial Shaq. I don't care. You can get me a number one Steph Curry. I don't care because all I'm going to do, I'm going to liquidate that and I'm going to buy more Bulls moments and I'm going to stack as many of them as I can. So I got a rare pack today and I got Dorian Finney-Smith. It was immediately on the marketplace at, at low ask because I want the, the Vukovic. And so I... I I have made up my mind that that is my sort of my, my path on this. And it's not for everyone. Some people are, are like whales and they have millions. That's just not me. So I'm, I'm buying bulls. I'm collecting bulls and that's my focus.
true hardcore fan. Before we move to the last question from the comments, my last the over under is Port Ipia Club. Underrated, overrated. That's really Ooh. hard, man. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about uh, a half a million dollar picture of an ape. Ooh, I would say properly rated, but that's such a cop out. And Gary V wouldn't allow that. I'm going to say underrated still. I, I still think th those guys and that team at Yuga have not missed yet. You know, and where everyone announced a coin and everyone announced their own token, these guys have not, they, they have not, they do what they want to do and they have a vision for their project. And I believe that they will deliver forever. I, I don't think they will mess this thing up. And uh, I think they'll keep crushing it. I think it's, I think it's still underrated and I think it'll be the, the most market cap in an NFT of all time when it's all said and done. I think Board Ape will be the all-timer. Yeah, interesting. That one snuck in in April, May, like real, real silently. So we got a question from a viewer and I think we can close it off with this for advice to new or artists. Jurgen asks, what advice do you have for artists who want to step into the NFT game? Yeah, I, I think that Claire, Clarify what you want to do. And I think the best path like that, that you would, would, would really want to take is I saw the 13 year old Yasmin who has the Elvin project do this really well. Her first project at age 12, she made a hundred teacups, custom teacups. They were called NF teacups. And her second project was 6,000 randomly generated elves at 13 years old. She sold out. She's still this latest, they've been, we, women driven projects have been ripping lately. They've been doing really well. And, and, and so she had a sort of second wind here and she then made her big project. So she started with waves of 10 in a set of a hundred. And I, I think too, like, that's, if you want to make collections, you know, you're going to, I don't know what type of art you make. You, you may just want to make one of ones. And I think foundation and Tez are really interesting options to check out. So I would just say, spend some time in learning about these different marketplaces and communities and chains and figure out which one's the right fit for you, but do you, you know, it, it, make art that resonates with you and figure out what you want to do and just sort of focus, you know, on doing something that's really authentic to yourself. And you, the thing that people don't realize is that it only takes one tweet or one right buyer and your whole project is about to go parabolic. And so keep at it and just make stuff that's honest. And I think, uh, can I think another underrated thing to do is, is to do things like this and let people see you and hear you and get to know you and want to support you. I mean, that's what I would look for in an artist that I would want to invest in. I'd want to hear them on a podcast and be like, man, like th this person's really incredible. I, I want to buy everything they ever make. And I don't think that artists in this space make those types of connections with people, mainly because they don't think people care about that. But I know that's what I care about. I, I've seen a lot of, or not a lot, quite some of these moves happen in Twitter spaces uh, of all places, you know, artists join in and they talk about uh, their art maybe, and there, there is one interesting, interested buyer there. And after the Twitter space, suddenly this collection is sold out or it, it goes crazy. It's how it happens and you never know. And I think like in general, the thing that the NFT space has taught me, the biggest takeaway is that you, if again, if you put out positivity and you look to help and add value to people, you never know what opportunity is around the corner. You never know, you know, instead of focusing on how many you sell, focus on selling to the right person. Instead of focusing on how many followers you have, focus on the right followers. Instead of focusing on how many podcast listens you get, 
get the one right listener and it can change your life. And, and I think if you can sort of reframe things in that perspective, you, you can focus on what matters more than get distracted on, on things that don't matter. You know, some of these people have 50,000 followers and we're finding out that they're scammers and they're lousy people, you know, in the end, karma will get them. And I think people who are doing righteous stuff will, will get righteous rewards. Awesome. I think that's a good place to close it off on a strong note. Uh, Jean-Luc, do we have uh, any last announcements to do? Yeah, I, I was thinking, should we open a pack on stream? Let's go. Maybe you're going to get my Vukovic and then we're going to organize a, a <laughs> trade right now. Come on. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Now, let me quickly uh, see. So, so today's, uh, there were actually two NBA Top Shot drops and there was a legendary, which I was not eligible for, but I will be in the future. And there was also a rare drop and the rare drop is, yeah, I think already kind of interesting. So what I'm quickly going to do is share my screen. And we're just going to open a pack on screen. I'm not sure. I think we will not hear the music if it's shared. If you need me to make music for you, Jean-Luc, <laughs> I will beatbox for you if needed. But I think it's it's about what moments you get. I'm excited for you. I can't wait to see what your rare is. Let's so, go. So Let's for, do me, it. for me, really, it's is there's two that I'm, and actually I'm on one side looking forward to them. On the other side, I'm like, if I get those, I won't be able to sell them. I just want to keep them forever. And that's going to be the Lamello or the Stephen Curry. If it's one of those two moments, I'm not putting that on the marketplace. But anything else, I'm open uh, to, to see what's... what's. Uh, so let's have a quick look uh, at that. Here back. we go. <laughs> Diego, are you just like like totally wrecked with enthusiasm right now? Is this your dream? <laughs> I am not a sports fan that much. So uh, I enjoy watching Sean look open these packs and get giddy. I'm excited uh, so for I'm, you. I'm let's, supporting him in that way. Let's do it, man. Let's see what you got. What's so this one is, of course, the 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 rare. So we're going to do that one last. Jeremy, you get to pick where we're going to start. Are we going to start Ooh. left, right, down? Listen, I spent a lot of time in Arabic countries. So yeah. we're going to go right to left today. Let's go top right or bottom right. Either one. Bottom right. All right. Let's go bottom right. Ooh, okay. okay. I don't have this one yet. Could be useful for a flash challenge. Yeah, exactly. Could be. Yeah. And then, you know, you can rip those and, and they, they've done really well with the flash challenge stuff in terms of making these market pumps and getting you the ability to sort of move up and, and sell stuff and consolidate for things you want. So yeah, this is a good moment. I think it could come into play. You never yeah. know. I think they have already a point. tonight. <laughs> yeah, they have a three point, have a three point, challenge, three point challenge going tonight. Okay. So this is the first one. Now we'll go into the second one. Ooh. Oh, Tad. Okay. Tad. Not Giannis. No, yeah, not Giannis, but his brother, which is good, is also a moment that I don't have yet. And aren't there a lot of brothers in the NBA right now? It's like this secretly one you of got the, the Curries. Yeah, the Antetokounmpo. Oh, the holidays. The holidays. Yep. Yeah, There's so sure. many now. And I'm really the this what I'm looking forward the most is actually the father sunsets that they're going to be on top shot, like a Gary Payton and a Gary Payton Jr. That'll be a, cool. And a Kenyon Martin and a Kenyon Martin Jr. Those are like things that I'm really secretly It'll be sweet. Really looking forward to. Hey, I mean, you, you got it, Damian Lillard. You can't yeah. go wrong with that. No, that's a good a, moment. A really good moment. Let's see what else. Then we go to the top. So Haven't seen the rare yet. No, no, but... the rare is here. The rare is here. So we're going to do that one last. Okay. So should we start with left or right? Let's go, let's go with the middle one. Let's see what happens okay. there. Garland. Oh, I needed this one, 
but it wasn't good. It wasn't out yet when the last flash challenge when you needed yep. garlic, right? So you needed yep. one from last year and it got insanely expensive. Yeah, good good thing yeah. to have. This yeah. is a good one to keep and use for yeah. flash challenges for sure. And the last common moment is another Grace and Allen's another box moment. Okay, so now's the moment of truth. Listen, before you click, yeah. this guy is the biggest scumbag in the NBA. This guy is, he should not be allowed to wear an NBA uniform. He literally destroyed Caruso in the Bulls game. The yeah. Time. Sent him for six weeks. I hate this guy. I would punch him in the face if I saw him walking down the street right now. And I don't care that that's on record. Yeah. I mean it. This guy, he's coming to Chicago March 4th. I will be there. And it's going to get weird, and I don't care. I hate this guy. He's a dirty player, period. So so quickly about the Bulls this year. I, I know we're running towards the end of the stream, but how awesome has the how awesome has the team been this year with with everything that's going on? Okay, aside from the injuries now, that's really kind of making less making it a less of a of a memorable well, it's still a memorable season. But how 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 respected is DeMar DeRozan? at the moment in, in Chicago. Uh, I mean, like they haven't been watchable. The Jim Boylan era was terrible. And what the Bulls case study tells you in pro sports is that good leadership makes all the difference in the world. They revamped their front office. They got rid of people who hadn't been doing much. And, and, and they got a great president of basketball operations. They got a great general manager. And in a, in a very short period of time, that team has turned around and become really fun to watch. So as a Bulls fan, I don't care if they win the NBA Finals, but I just want them to be watchable. I want to enjoy being a fan, and they've given me that, and that's been really nice. I think Alonso and Caruso, from a defensive perspective, have been a great fit to the team. I, I think it's it's such a beautiful team. To, and I mean, the Rose and those, those two buzzer beaters, back-to-back, -back, that was like, this is kind of insane. Yeah. It's it it's coming down to the to the to the rare moment. What's it gonna be? What if it's a number one serial? I'm no, just gonna I've fall down. That. I've checked. No, no, I've checked that. The 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 best shot right now. Before I before we got into the show, the jersey serial from Steph Curry is still available. Oh my God! Let's see what happens. I'm ready. All right, let's, let's go, go. John Luke. Drum roll, please. Oh, it's a Utah Jazz. The dog oh, wow. 74? 74. That's not it's a nice that's a nice moment, man. Oh, that's a really nice moment. That's pretty nice. I think that's one of the lowest serials I've ever had. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 74 out of 749 is a top 10% yeah. moment. So that's good, man. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Good pull. Some good, really karma good, yeah, good karma there. Yeah. Good karma all the way. I should invite you more often to open up bags. <laughs> Definitely, I'm here for it. Let me know. I'm here anytime to help with pack opening. So. Awesome. so to close off, what can people expect from you? What can people look forward to? And if people want to connect with you, where is the best way or what's the best way to connect with you? Yeah, Twitter is the best way. Jay Williams NFT. You can find me there. I'm just there to help you figure out your journey, man. Especially... If you want to day trade and get rich, I'm not the best person to help you with that. I don't have like great alpha channels or anything. That's not really what I'm interested in. But if, if you're interested in just sort of participating in the space from a collector's perspective and learning how some of these things work, I'm happy to help you. 
I'm really happy to help artists and creators too. Someone asked about how to sort of get started with as an artist. Happy if you want to connect with me through Twitter and, and ask more questions and, and try to help out um, wherever I can with that. Yes, check out J. Williams NFT. And I think you also do a daily, weekly Twitter spaces. Weekly on uh, Aspen Scam Busters. That happens every Saturday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern time and 9 a.m. Central. And we give you the latest, Desert Minter and I give you the latest in the NFT scam space and keep you out, you know, so you know what's going on and what to be mindful of. Last week, we talked about the Beanie Maxi situation and also got into some of the DAOs, the thirst trap DAOs that have started up and talked about some of the things to watch out for. Some of these people didn't even know that DAOs were being created for them. So lots of good stuff there every week. And uh, we record that and release it on the podcast stream as well. So you can catch it there if you don't catch it live. Yeah, definitely check those out. Uh, I can personally say you, you, you can learn a lot from just listening and, you know, what's happening in a space I have. Yeah. And Fausto is uh, doing our Hive plug. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's 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 got to be very clear. I'm in the process of starting up a high, an NBA Top Shot community on Hive. So Fausto, don't worry. We'll be talking about Hive a lot with Jeremy because I think it's an awesome space for him. And especially also from the play-to-earn perspective, there are a lot of play-to-earn games there which are really interesting to know about as well. That's being said, Don, we're going to make sure in, in on Facebook, we're going to drop the link from, from Jeremy as well. So you can easily connect with him. And I see Diego has also already put in, put in the link. So Jeremy, we really want to thank you for taking your time to talk NFT with us. And yes, we're really looking forward to, I'm looking forward to give you a watermelon. And I'm looking forward to that too. And John Luke, I'm really excited to have you on to talk Top Shot as well. So I'm looking to get that. Yeah, I, I missed that one. So I have to really put it into my schedule to make sure that I'm, I'm not uh, missing out. Okay. That's it for this week. You know, the drill on Saturday, Diego releases the audio version of this podcast that you can listen on all streaming platforms. We will be back here next week, same place, same time. This was Super Confos. It's been a pleasure. Diego, great to meet you. And we're going to talk P2E. So uh, this is the first conversation of many, I'm sure. Great to meet you guys. And I uh, appreciate the positivity and what you're putting out there. I think it's really good for people and uh, happy to, to be a fan and to be a member of an episode. Thanks so much. Thank you. This was Social Confos. See you back next week. Same place, same time. Bye-bye.